Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. And I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Rob. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. The coffee area will be closed for the duration of the meeting so as to minimize distractions. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are to focus on your breath and posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. Bless you. And ask God to help you focus on the study tonight. Is everybody in? Okay. Let's bring in the monks. Thank you. 
of quiet contemplation and thankfulness of our alcoholic veterans today, followed by our fog light prayer. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. All right, we have a secretary and her name is Tanisha. Let's welcome her. Good evening. My name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every AA group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are now going around. And I've asked Ashley to read (laughs) the recovery statement. Give it up for Ashley. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hi, my name is Ashley and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ashley. And this is recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict of some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would not be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain within us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic centers in mind rather than body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Ashley. 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the loving, sacred approach back to his loving arms. 
The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. In the back, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries in the back for sale. Mike is ready to make a deal. <laughs> um, another thing, if you guys have any papers that need to get signed, like for court or probation officer or whatever, come see me at the end of the meeting. I'll be glad to sign them, just as someone did for me. We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15. Some of us get here at 5.30 and help set up. Isn't it beautiful? And uh, some of us also get here at 6.30. And uh, we call that fellowship where we get to know each other a little better. Um, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. From the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution, also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the first time? Anybody here for the first time at this meeting? Excellent. Oh, will you mind? I got one over here. And could we have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics, please? All right. Uh, while this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. And on the topic of anonymity, we, we actually uh, podcast this meeting on the Internet. So if you do not want your voice to be on the Internet on this podcast, just go ahead and pass that microphone when the Q&A section comes or disguise it with a funny accent. And uh, does anybody need a big book? We have a few loners. If you got through without one, no. Good job. Greeting team. Before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 5. And tonight, let's take a quick review of Tradition 6. Please review, <clears throat> excuse me, please refer to the unabridged big book, page 562, and the abridged big book, page 177. And we have our traditionist, John. Come on up, John. Yeah, John. All right, Tradition 6, this is the short form. Uh, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. And now for the long form. Problems of money, property, and authority may easily divert us from our primary spiritual aim. We think, therefore, that any considerable pro property of genuine use to AA should be separately incorporated and managed, thus dividing the material from the spiritual. An AA group, as such, should never go into business. Secondary aids to AA, such as clubs or hospitals, which require much property or administration, ought to be incorporated and set apart, and so set apart that, if necessary, they can be freely discarded by the groups. Hence, such facilities ought not to use the AA name. Their management should be the sole responsibility of those people who financially support them. For clubs, AA managers are usually preferred, but hospitals, as well as other places of recuperation, ought to be well outside AA and medically supervised. 
While an AA group may cooperate with anyone, such cooperation not never go so far as affiliation or endorsement, actual or implied. An AA group can bind itself to no one. Um, I have some notes here that were getting passed on to me, so I'm going to go ahead and read them. Um, tradition six. So I've really been trying to only focus on tradition of e- on the tradition of each week, but it's undeniable, undeniable how well these work together and how bri- brilliantly they were written. I think the main theme of this tradition is that it warns us of the things that will distract us from our primary purpose that are talked about in Tradition 5. Money, property, and prestige could shift the focus from carrying the message to the still-suffering alcoholic. It's kind of a paradox, because it seems like incorporating this gift we've been given into... It seems like incorporating this gift we've been given into every other aspect of our lives would be a great idea. This got me thinking about things we read in the big book, specifically in how it works. While bringing awareness to the public about alcoholism might seem like a whole cause, it's not our cause. There are a few stories that stood out to me while I was reading about the tradition. One came from the 12 and 12. It talks about how something just... Um, something distilling, so how some distilling companies wanted to start a campaign on, re, on responsible drinking. In one of their meetings, they decided who better to, to spearhead this campaign than a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, since the fellowship seemed to have a good reputation in the public eye. At first, this seemed like a great idea, but then came doubts. Not only did the company want to hire this AA and have him break his anonymity on the public level, but he would also link the name Alcoholics Anonymous to this particular educational project so now it would appear that AA was now backing education through the Liquor Trade Association. Another example came from a Grapevine article titled Dangerous, Dangerous in Linking AA to Other Pro- Projects. And this was written by Bill Wilson in March of 1947. Bill writes that he was asked by some faculty members of Yale University if they could hire an AA specifically to work for a national committee for education on alcoholism. For this purpose, they wanted an AA member to break his anonymity. Bill figured that if on an Bill figured that if an AA member was qualified to be a better educator in this area, then why not? Also, and also gave his approval in dropping anonymity. <clears throat> At first, the effect seemed great, but there was a considerable amount of pub- 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 publicity, and new members in the public was being made aware that alcoholism is sickness, but that something could be done about it. But then the confusion set in. Because of publicly linking the AA name to the, that particular educational project, the public st- uh, stated... started to think that AA as a whole was was now all about alcohol education. Then then later, when AA became linked with a fundraising campaign, even more confusion arose. People were wondering, people were wondering, oh, people were under the impression that, I'm lost here. Okay, anyways. Bill says that while dropping anonymity might have its short-term advantages, it carries with it, with it long-term liabilities. So I think that advice, that advice, the advice that this tradition has given us is that individuals, as individuals, we are free to practice these principles in any, in any scope of our lives, as long as we are not using the name of AA to endorse our cause. But as a group, we should just keep it simple and stick to our primary purpose. Thank you. Thank you, John. In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Cressy Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. And tonight we've asked Megan to come up here and be our reader. So please join me. It is actually a silent H. I just learned that tonight. (laughs) 
tonight we're going to begin. Um, it's going to be in the skinny version. We're going to start reading on XXIV. Am I right? XXVI. XXVI. And then if you're in the fatty patty, it should be triple X. But we're going to start uh, the reading a little bit earlier than that. But the question and answer will start there. And uh, after the page, we're going to ask the questions from the podium, starting back at the top of the page of the XXVI and the skinny one. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified. And multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then redissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives a new light with which to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you are free to share. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship setting, please do not be offended when Barry cuts that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol, through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps, is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. So tonight we're beginning on XXVI, but we didn't just start there, did we, Rob? No, it wasn't random. So we, we just started our study, oh, what's it been now, six weeks? Six it's weeks ago? About six weeks. Roughly, yeah. uh, somewhere in there. And we started on uh, page zero, and we went through the forwards and the preface. And, and in there, we get our introduction to what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about. Uh, we get to see what it was like uh, when it was just founded and how it's grown uh, how this book came about, you know, how the early members were working off the Oxford Group program. We get the introduction to this spiritual program of action that we're going to get uh, well into in this book. And we also get uh, some of the early recovery statistics like we just heard in the secretary's report. And um, we also get the introduction to some of our traditions in, in those pages. And it wraps up the preface and the forwards with the uh, modem to modem or face to face. AA speak the language of the heart in all its power and simplicity. So we get that useful reminder. Hopefully we're speaking the language of the heart here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and then we got into the doctor's opinion where we talked about Dr. Silkworth and, and his description of the alcoholic sickness and what that consists of. And then we're going to start reading before XXVI in the skinny book. We're going to start reading where it says we're going to learn why men and women drink. Again, we touched on it a little bit last week. And who has been with in the... Fat. Should be triple X, I believe. But we're gonna rewind gonna a couple start, in the in the couple fa- pages. In the fatty bat- in the fatty patty, it's gonna be page XXX. That's where and we're gonna start the page prior to that where it says men and women drink. And uh, and who here has been with us since the beginning of this uh, big book study? That's that is so special to us and we're happy about that. And some, some people it's are just, just joining us, yeah. All right, so Megan, whenever you... Does everyone have the, uh, the page in the book where we're going to start? Drink. Men and women drink, essentially. Uh, one more. We're just backing up a little bit right here. Go. Yeah, we're going to tee up, and then we'll start the Q&A on the following page. Okay. Um, I'm Megan. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Megan. Okay. Um, uh, men and women drink, essentially, because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that... 
uh, while they admit it, it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with, with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging uh, remorseful with a firm uh, resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his uh, recovery. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a, a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort uh, necessary being that uh, required to follow a few simple rules. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest, honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it often is not enough. One feels that, that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal with, with er. Uh, which was to be settled on a certain date, favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which, which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult, and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are, they are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then, then there are the types entirely normal in, in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy with, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment uh, with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of, de of debate. 
Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case, case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worth, worthwhile in his life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partially recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance uh, and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis, and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and, in desperate condition, brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort, unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called uh, moral psychology, and we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great uh, many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen, a specimen of manhood as one could ever wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and th through, um, through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. Right. William D. Silkworth. All right, so we're going to start the Q&A section on XXVI at the top paragraph in the skinny mini and XXX in the fatty patty. So do you want to run? I see you getting up. I can... <laughs> I'll run. Okay. All right, so the top paragraph, there are many situations. What do many alcoholics do to stop drinking? There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Is it easy to classify alcoholics? The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much details outside the scope of this book. And this is a, a multi-part question. How many types does Dr. Silkworth mention? And let's identify them. What's type one? There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. And you're going to continue reading that full type of, of alcoholic. That's the type one alcoholic. They're always good. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. And now we got our type 2. This is the type 2 alcoholic. Just read that whole description of that type, please. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. 
He changes his brand or his environment. Type three. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. Type four. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. And then we have type five, everyone's favorite, most common. Then there are the types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. You got any type fives? Oh, excellent. <laughs> okay, so um, two-part question. Are there even more types, and what is the common denominator for each and every type? All these and many others have, have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing a phenomenon of craving. What is the one thing that sets alcoholic men and women apart from all other people? This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. Which treatment center has been successful in treating alcoholics? It has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. What is the only relief from alcoholism? The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Note, if the alcoholic never takes the first drink, he can never crave the second, then the third, then the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and so on. In spite of the attention paid to alcoholism, what is the general consensus of physicians regarding alcoholics? This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. You've got to read after the comma there, please. No, oh. that's a period. <laughs> okay. Here you go. We got the next, next sentence, though. What's, what's the general consensus? I should have said two sentences. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah, we, get, we can give back to Much the has been written pro. <laughs> Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. Thank you, Stephanie. And we are on the next paragraph. How does Dr. Silkworth demonstrate the solution to chronic alcoholism? Two sentences. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. What was the solution to the first alcoholic's dilemma? Note, please read the entire paragraph. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had, he had but partially recovered from the gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be, to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partially recognized his features, but there was all, but there all resemblances ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and confident, conf, and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. What was the solution to the second alcoholic's dilemma? And we have a note. Please read both paragraphs and look for the answer on page X. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. 
The patient had made his own diagnosis and, deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party in a desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort, unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology, and we doubted if even that would have any effect. And then we have a comment. The alcoholic described in the first paragraph wrote Chapter 10 to employers, and, and we want to actually read out. That was the last... Oh, no. Okay, next paragraph. What was the solution to the second man's alcoholism? However, he... He did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He had not had a drink for many, for a great many years. I see how now and then he is a fine um, a specimen of manhood, as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book, though. And um, though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. All right. Uh, that... Page is open for comment. Does anyone have experience? Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have experience with uh, with any of these pages here? Does anyone want to want to speak on this? So there's so much I could share about this. I'm just coming recovered alcoholic. Hi, Jessica. And um, one thing on about the classifications of the alcoholics, I can relate to all five of them. And you know, I was taught that. That's part of qualifying my protégés, that, like, if they can't relate to this in any way, maybe they just need to, you know, keep coming around and read a little more or get honest. Otherwise, they're just heavy, hard drinkers. Like, that's what I was pretty much taught. Because if they don't have the phenomenon of craving, they're really not a real alcoholic. But, like, the only relief we have suggested is tire abstinence. But, like, for me... Like, until you really are treated and have experienced the psychic, you know, change, then the ism is still there, drunk or sober, you know, to me. Like, I can act out in so many different ways, even today as a recovered alcoholic, that, like, you know, I don't even need to drink to be insane the way that we can, I can be anyway. And then I love this part, you know, he was rescued by a searching party, and it's like... You know, knock, 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 wake up, you know, the police are outside and and or my mom is coming through the freaking window and or the dope boy is looking for my his money, you know, or it's so much put nicely here. But to me today, this is what it means, like how it was first introduced to me because I was so new to this program. And, like, you know, that's pretty much where it ends up for me. Like, I'm I'm pretty much rescued. Yeah, the 12-step call or the jails, institutions, you know. So I love that part, you know, because when one of my friends or, you know, someone that I know had needs a help with a 12-step call, it's like, here comes the search party, and then we'll call my chase, and we'll call this guy, and we'll call another guy, and be like, come on, come on, come on, let's get him. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Hi, alcoholic, Peter. Hey, Peter. Recovered alcoholic. Yeah, I like this paragraph down here in the bottom of XXVI. Um, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. 
This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. Um, you know, I didn't even, like, have that concept, idea, like, before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And really, like, I never really even gave that much thought after I came to Alcoholics Anonymous for many years. Um, maybe I just wasn't around the right people or maybe my reading skills weren't that well because I had read this book like many of times over, especially like when I was in prison. It was like the only book I had in my cell. Um, but for some reason, that whole allergy thing seemed to elude me until um, I sat down with a sponsor and I went through this book with him and he helped open this up to me. And the idea of an allergy, um, yeah, definitely like I and my sister, like we drank, she drank nothing like me or I drank nothing like her, you know. Oh, the fuzzy part. And um, we both grew up in the same home, you know. Um, I won't get into all the details of that, but it was not pleasant. And um, she grew up to be a well-rounded woman. She has three adult children, a wonderful marriage of 30 years, a great career. And um, me, on the other hand, like, you know, I'm still trying to get a grip on his drinking thing, like, you know. Um, and man, you know, would I love to, like, be able to grasp, like, to, you know, get that, um, how do they say you know, that good sensation that I get when I take a drink, like everything's all right. It just doesn't happen for me. Like after that first drink, all bets are off. You know, I need to have the next one and the next one and the next one. And it took a long time for me to understand that my body was acting allergetically to alcohol and other mood mind altering substances. Um, and by the grace of God, you know, I've been given a solution and so on. Um, just to digress a little bit here, you know, this is a funny chapter, too, at this page here. It's like um, with the classification of the alcoholics, you know. I don't know, like, this page for me had always become, um, especially those, that paragraph where it describes the alcohol, kind of like a diagnostic kind of page. And that's not what this book is about, really, you know. It's not about, di you know, diagnosing, like, any of my mental disorders or anything like that. You know, it's about my alcoholism, and I need to keep it at that. Thank you. Recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Hey, Mike, hey, Mike Chase. Chase. You know, every time I go through the book, I, I get these aha moments. And um, this last page was, you know, it, it really is a, a home run. You know, you hit that football out of the ballpark. Um, the first part of the doctor's opinion <laughs> is specifically designed to make me aware of the solution. You know, it spends the first page and a half. In late 1934, I attended a patient, though he had been a competent businessman, was an alcoholic at the time I had come to regard as hopeless. In his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present these conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them they must do likewise with still others, referring to 
Bill was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief and dependence upon God. And for the Oxford groupers, you know, the four absolutes as a way of life, as a little guidepost. And if I just go through the next few pages, it, it, it talks about what's necessary and how there is the solution. And then, then it ends at the back explaining what the disease is to me. You know, it goes in and starts explaining about with the allergy. You mentioned the allergy that, you know, I react differently than everybody else in my family. You know, when I start drinking, that kicks in the phenomenon of craving and I just never get enough. And I have this mental obsession that convinces me that I can't, cannot stop drinking. Um, there's this part on, I do not hold those who believe alcohol as a, entirely a problem of mental control. I, I got this, this little talk when I'm working with my guys. I talk about, you know, somebody who's uh, hanging out with somebody who has loads of money and, you know, when I was getting high and as long as their money was fine, we're doing good. And this person has an abrupt thing occur that his money's going to stop unless his house gets cleaned up. And I offer to clean up the house, you know, and, and you know, he's going to give me $25,000 to clean the house. So when his parents come, he doesn't get in trouble. And uh, so I clean the house up really good, and he tells me at the last minute, oh, by the way, you've you got to be here tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and then I'll give you the $25,000. I say, okay, cool, I'll be back. And he says, I don't know. If, I'm, if you're not here tomorrow morning, I'll be back in six months. Well, I go home to my roommates and say, guess what, guys, I just made $25,000, and they, twist, they talk me into, like, going out for one or two drinks. Soon as I have those drinks, where am I not tomorrow morning, I say. I'm definitely not at the guy's house getting my check for $25,000 because I've already spent it in my brain and I have outstanding money to these people, you know? And, and it wasn't because I had a fear of abandonment. It wasn't a fear of success. It wasn't that, you know, I, 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 had, I was irresponsible and can't read a clock. It was that when something kicks in, my phenomenon of craving, that suddenly becomes the most important thing. And the money's just no longer like the main issue anymore. And then I finally come to a couple days later, I got to go hide out in rehab for six months until the guy shows up and I get my money. I can pay the dope dealers and the bartenders all the money I owe, you know? And I'm reading this thing and it's like, once I start drinking, I, I can't stop. And then I think about those guys at Broward and Federal or, or commercial and Federal. You know, we, we see them, the, 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 the street guys, you know? They, 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 run, they run through the traffic and they... they Rustle up five, ten bucks, right? And they run over to 7-Eleven, grab themselves four or five, four locos. They find their favorite bush, chug them down and pass out, right? About two hours later, they come to because the phenomenon has awoken them. It says, go get me more. And they stumble back out on the street. They earn up their, their $5 to go get the four locos. They find their bush. They chug it. They pass out. Two hours later, they come to. And this is a cycle that they keep going and they keep going. And to the problem heavy hard drinker, to the therapist, or to the non-alcoholic, they're going to say things like, um, well, that's just suicide. They're just trying to kill themselves, you know. And, and I, I have to disagree with that because when you're in the phenomenon of craving, there's just no stopping. I had people in my life that, that pulled me out of my little rat hole to get me into detox. These guys, society has completely given up. And when it says... There are, make, there are many situations which arise out of the phenomena craving which cause these men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than fight. That's that part of my body that has this fail-safe that I, should, I, I stop doing things that are dangerous to me, like that type of stuff. But for me, since I'm stuck in this phenomena craving, I will literally drink myself to death. You know? And that's what alcoholism is for people who don't have people around them. So I'm reading this saying, God, this is just me. 
I'm an alcoholic, and I'm glad that I had people in my life that pulled me out of my little rat hole and got me sober because there's people out there who people just have thrown away. So thanks. I got a little bit out of this tonight. Thanks Thank for sharing. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, second to the last page of the book, we have Roland Hazard's story, and he's talking about this spiritual transformation and this real conversion experience that happens to us, and it's, it's God's grace. And he talks about from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. And it's like that one sentence has always spoken to me. Like when I was shaking in treatment, I would like grab a hold of that sentence and kind of think like, man, so I'm, I am a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck, but someday maybe I'll be Roland brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. And then we got Fitz Mayo's story and right below it. You know, it's just, it's, we, we get touched by the, by the hand of God and rendered sober. And it's, it's just a miraculous thing to be a part of from these, like Mike Chase was talking about, these homeless people on the street. Like some people are house cats. Some people can't be homeless, but it's like I still suffer from that, that craving. And the only solution is what's the solution? You know? God. Yeah, we got Barry. Hi, everyone. Recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. Hey, Hi, Barry. And uh, I love this this section of the book and especially what we went over tonight. You know, I, I drank um, because of the effect alcohol produced on me. You know, the, the crippling social anxiety was, was overcome and able to be managed when alcohol entered my body. And um, that's what I liked. And then, you know, that became my identity. You know, work hard, play hard type, type situation. And I remember... Back in college, one of my one of my good friends, um, he he stopped drinking, and I questioned it. And you know, I, I said, why why would you you know why would you want to do that? There's ten cent hams down at X Y Z bar, and they don't check IDs. And he said, well, I'm allergic to alcohol. I said, huh, that, that must be awful, you know. <laughs> you know that uh, alcohol is my elixir. I can't imagine life if I were allergic to alcohol. And then. You know, as the disease progressed in me and over the years, um, you know, when I got to the point where I didn't want to drink, but I had to drink, if I stopped, I thought that I would probably die. I thought back to that friend and said, you know, I really wish I was allergic to alcohol. You know, that would give me a reason to stop, you know, not knowing until, you know, within the last few years that, in fact, I was allergic to alcohol. And... All along, but um, you know, in, in general, this this identifies a problem and presents a solution along with it. And I think life just runs a little bit smoother when, whenever, things go along those lines. You know, if we sat and identified problems and problems and problems without ever talking about a solution, then we get nowhere. And so, like like he just said, you know, the the solution is God. And I'm grateful that I found it. Um, grateful to be sober today, and I can't wait to carry the message along awesome thank you yeah i love this uh little story with about uh hank parkhurst here and and everyone's you know been recounting it here it says uh from a trembling despairing nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment you know and that that part always reminds me now of um you know when uh, chuck c is recounting a new pair of glasses and he's talking about uh the conversation he had with one of the clergymen that was involved in the fellowship i I think it might have been Father Ed. Someone will correct me later. Uh, but they're having a conversation, and, and the father is just talking about, like, yeah, you know, Chuck, your, your cross to bear is alcoholism. 
You know, he's like, mine is being in the clergy and not believing in God, you know, and going through all of his schooling and all of his training and devotions and whatever else you got to do to do that. I don't know. Um, but going all those years and not having an actual belief in God, but then he came to believe in God from watching the recoveries in AA, watching these people come from these nervous wrecks uh, to brimming over with self-confidence, barely recognizing anybody. And uh, I didn't, wasn't aware of it at the time, but that's, that's what attracted me to this program the first moment I walked in the door, when it was like, here's these people who drank like I drank, who felt like I felt, who were sharing some stuff in meetings that I would never say out loud that I had also shared. Um, and, and here they are, living happy, joyous, and free, right? And that was the hope that I needed to be like, oh, how'd you guys do that? They're like, here, come here. Let's get into this book and have a spiritual experience. And then when we get through that, we get to watch the same transformation happen to people all around us, our sponsees, which is just amazing to see that light come on, uh, see them come out the other side of this thing, get connected to God, and then have them go in the trenches and sponsor people. It's just a beautiful thing to, to be able to witness. And just, for me, just deepens my faith over and over every time we get to see that. So it's pretty awesome stuff. Tanisha, recovered alcoholic. I didn't. I just want to share something while we're on the allergy and phenomenal craving. I one time was sitting in a meeting and I heard the speaker say, um, you know, allergies are, you know, bad things that we get, reaction that we get from eating something, drinking something, touching something. And so, like, when you think of an allergy, some people break out in spots, right? So... For us alcoholics, especially for me, like I, I break out behind, you know, the cop in the cop car. I break out, you know, in places that I shouldn't be. I break out, you know, doing things, harming others and, you know, my family members not showing up as a mom. You know, these are my breakouts, you know, I break out, you know, not showing up to work and, you know, getting that no show. You know, I break out <laughs> in detox and treatment or before the judge. You know, these are some of these breakouts. These, this is my allergic reaction, you know. And, and I like, you know, the part that, you know, we play around right here with, you know, following his physical rehabilitation, he had, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment was a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. Like that desperate... That, you know, he was in great despair to actually, like, say, why even try? I've gone through this much. There's no cure for me, you know? Please, you know, tell me that this will work for me, you know? And and to assure a man, you know, that it would work for him, you know, there's a little uncertainty, you know, as if... The doctor had. He didn't, you know, he owned up. He's inadequate. He doesn't have the power that God has, you know, to restore us to saying, to build us, you know, this program that we have, you know, today. And it's something that, you know, one alcoholic talking to another, that's why I always say that. I always go back to that because that's the foundation of this program. We have to talk. We have to let things out, you know. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's such a... <laughs> special thing that we have together, 
you know so it's like if you're feeling alone and you feel like oh no one else can relate to me i highly doubt it you'll definitely find someone in here who can definitely relate you know and please don't even feel that you've done something so bad that like no one else has done it trust me birds of a feather flock together <laughs> that's for damn sure thank you for letting me share thanks for sharing yeah, you talked about the, the food allergy. You know, I've, I've heard people talk about that before where it's like the difference is like if you eat a strawberry and you're allergic to strawberries and you break out in all those hives, you're not going to go back and be like, I'm going to try this again, right? Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try eating the strawberry outside this time, maybe change <laughs> brands of strawberries. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see how this works out next time. Whereas with alcohol, we break out in the handcuffs and it's like, eh, next time's going to be different, right? It's that mental obsession. Hi. Hi. I'm Marion. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hi, Marion. And it's good to be here with everyone tonight. And um, thank you, Chris and Robert, for your service. I know what that position up there is like. I'm just proud of you guys. Just do it so easy. I love it. Um, I I had an experience with this chapter tonight in um, today. And this isn't for applause or anything like that, but... Today marks um, 30 years of sobriety for me. And um, and when we're reading these couple paragraphs, it's like, oh, my God, all of it. But in sp- specifically, um, they pass through well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm re- resolution to not drink again. This is repeated over and over again unless this person can experience an entire psychic change there's very, very little hope of his recovery. And then it goes on to say, and on the other hand, as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being the requirement a few simple rules and when we were reading that I was just like oh my god you know I just tried you know here are the methods oh my god over and over and over and over and over again and um, I am so I so love the gift of desperation the first encounter with God that I believe the only way that this psychic change could have happened for me and I'm still very in touch with that today, and specifically today, you know, that something happened that day where I reached outside of myself and I saw something different in my eyes that I never worked for, that I never planned, that I never came up with a new idea. It was just this grace that was given to me on that day. And... um and I just pray that for all of us. But, you know, um, that's just the part of the book that I I don't think no matter how much outside of our synthetic knowledge or whatever, that we're never going to be able to explain and point our finger at, except for that gift of desperation that God gives all of us. And I'm so grateful for that today. And I'm so grateful to be here with all you guys tonight. So thanks. Thanks for sure. Peter, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Peter. Um, thanks for sharing, guys. 
Um, I have page XXVI, and it says, uh, it has never been by any treatment, and I was told to underline that word, with, with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. Um, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, which brings them into this debate about that. And it says much has been written pro and con. So I'm in the business of treatment, sort of. And they're still writing information pro and con on how to treat us. And there's pro and con views on what they're writing pro and con. <laughs> and it seems to be the new solution which contradicts our book, which mentions several times psychic change or moral psychology, which is a doctor's way of saying spiritual awakening. The, the, the treatment is about getting folks like us, and I'm not talking about psych meds, but to combating alcoholism and to kill the cravings with more medication. So we come in here medicated and drunk, and they're throwing more medication at us. And that has been little by slowly becoming a solution out there, especially in South Florida. So our job, my job, as an alcoholic who's claiming to be recovered, is point them to this book where it talks about, for permanent sobriety, it's about having this, this psychic change or spiritual awakening and nothing less than that. But sometimes we sit in some of our meetings and we have to wonder, is this an AA meeting that's based on the big book or has the treatment, quote-unquote, sent industry infiltrated my AA home group? because the methods have gotten watered down. So it's really up to us to hold a line here and not be sheriffs and policing everyone, because that's not AA either, but to really hold a line on what a true message is by Alcoholics Anonymous and not some doctor who's writing pro this week and con on views on how to treat us. Because what's happened out there, they basically have given up on how to treat us, so they throw medication at us. Now they're coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, and what are we going to do about that? Are we going to, am I going to show them moral psychology, psychic change, or what we now call <coughs> a spiritual awakening, outlined in this book, permanent recovery a day at a time? That's a responsibility I have as a person who claims to be recovered. And I heard someone talk about, you know, one drunk talking with another. Well, that's what we do. But I'm curious what that conversation sounds like. Because if I'm untreated, I will pass on untreated information. Unlike Bill and Bob did with Bill Dotson in the hospital. They told him about the physical allergy, the mental obsession, the spiritual answer they had found and how to get it. That's the conversation after they told him that story. That's the conversation. Or we can sit there for hours and talk to another drunk and both get drunk when we're done. Yeah, that's all I got. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for sharing. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm alcoholic. Hey, Hi, Ryan. Ryan. Hey. Um, I, I really love this chapter. I, I think I said last week that this was the first time when I was sitting with a sponsor that I felt like I read what was wrong with me. Um, but I especially like, well, so we classify ourselves, right, on this, on this last page. Um, and like we see ourselves in those different types of alcoholic. Um, well, I like how on the next page, uh, Dr. Silkworth gives two examples of, of men like this, right? Um, but he doesn't just give examples of these men. Like I, I, see, so I see words like pathological mental deterioration. And the first time I read this, I was like, yep, that sounds about right. Um, you know, like I, I didn't know how else to explain someone that would like just, you know, get up from their house and leave everything that they had to go sleep on a park bench because that seems like the right option, right? You know, so, like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, that, that's me. 
you know? And then I see down at just at the bottom of that paragraph that, you know, like from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. That was the first time that I ever felt hope in this program. You know, like reading those words, you know, like it was just like that was the first time that like I felt like not in this program, but that was the first time I ever felt hope, you know, that like that, 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 that wasn't it. You know, I didn't have to end up that pathological mental deterioration. So, um, you know, there's just and there's so much more to come. You know what I mean? Like, it's just this is just the beginning of the book. We're only one chapter in. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. Thanks for sharing. Exciting. So you were not the type entirely normal in every respect, except for <laughs> the effect. It's funny, when I look at my first big book, I highlight it in a different color, and I always go back and look at it, and I'm like, I was so delusional, because I highlighted that. I'm like, that's me. That's totally me. And now I'm like, no, I was pretty whacked. Hi, recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Kelly. Down here it says, much has been written pro and con. Among physicians, a general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. What is the solution? He says, perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences, and he talks about this pathological mental deterioration. This man lost everything worthwhile following elimination of alcohol, which was detox. It was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. I hear on Thursday nights, we read spiritual experience. And they say that the whole point of this is to have a spiritual experience. And the part that really sticks out to me is that we have a profound alteration in our reaction to life. And that such a change could hardly have come from ourselves. You know, we have found an an innermost, innermost resource, which we can say that is our conception of God. And that is that in the book, it says, you know, we have door A or door B. Go on to the bitter end or accept spiritual help. This book, the plan to recovery is outlined in this book. It's here, you know, and my sponsor will say, you know, we have this spiritual toolkit and we get to put all these different tools and we keep adding tools. And when they get dull, we sharpen them. And we do have a profound reaction to life, a profound alteration in our reaction to life. Somebody was talking about social anxiety and I was invited to a, a birthday party for a one-year-old where this came from and it was one of my sponsees and I pulled up before I even got there I was thinking of every single excuse in the book to not to go I'm like I'm gonna be around a bunch of normal people I haven't been around a bunch of normal people in a long time you know and I started getting this social anxiety which I haven't felt in a very long time and I wanted to create excuses and the principals told me no we don't do that we suit up we show up So the whole time on my way there, I'm using the tools in my spiritual toolkit to get there and suit up and show up, you know, and it turned out I, the last thing I thought was, okay, there's somebody in here I can help. Okay. That's gotta be it. That's gotta be it. It's gotta be it. Who can I be of service to? Who can I be helpful to, you know, and I end up walking in there using the plan of action outlined in this book. I end up talking to the grandmother who's the father of the baby who is an active addict and alcoholic and she's crying and talking to me. Like, how beautiful is this program? And I got to sit there and talk to her about recovery and pray with her. And, you know, that, that, that's it in a nutshell. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. 
Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Getting a lot of goosebumps tonight. I have a toddler and a baby, so I get invited to a lot of those parties. <laughs> I, I secretly hope my wife has social anxiety and cancels it last minute, but I'm going to start using my tools. It's a better idea. Anyone else want to share? Hey, Barbie. Just to kind of piggyback off of, like, Kelly's share um, and, like, kind of a little bit of everybody else's share. Like, I definitely qualified as every single kind of alcoholic. It didn't matter whether I was mommy Barbie, army Barbie, crash car Barbie. Every single alcoholic you think, that was me. And I would sit there and all that, you know, like, not even hatred, but, like, resentment towards, like, the God that I knew, not realizing that... I was never going to have peace and let God be my peace as long as I let the world be my source of satisfaction. And I didn't want to do the work. I sat there and I would think that, like how Peter said, like, here's, you know, like, this is how I'm going to stay sober. I'm going to take this pill. I'm going to do this. And, like, by God's grace, I haven't taken any kind of, like, medication since I had, like, six months sober. And I actually went into, like, a depression because life happens and I would sit there and I'd tell myself these, like, last few months, kind of like an autopilot about, okay, God, like, I don't feel you right now, but I do know you're there because there's, there's no way you would have brought me to this point to just leave me. And, like, I had a spiritual experience last week. And, like, right after, because I, I was all nervous, like, being open-minded, I went on, like, this date with this, like, complete normal person and a cop, by the, by, for that matter. So, like, the irony, so I was, like, really, like, completely socially awkward with it and but like had I not had that spiritual experience before and then I sat there and like I listened to him and then like one of his neighbors came out and she wasn't an alcoholic or anything like that but this woman was crying and I got to like pass down you know what my God does for me and like my experiences to help this woman so it doesn't like alcohol it is a problem but like my problem is me you know, like, my problem is my expectations of what I put on the world on, until, like, I sit there and I just do the work, like, give it to God, do the work, and be sold on this book. Like, every problem that I have, I can solve with this book. Like, everybody says to, like, my friends are like, uh-oh, here she goes again. She's bringing out the big book. You know, like, every single problem. And, like, it's just a beautiful thing to sit there and be like, you wouldn't think it. Like, and it's right here. It's, like, right in front of you, and all you have to do is read it and just feel it. Because, like, the more, like, they say, it, the book says God could and would if he were sought, you know. So, like, we have to seek him out. And I know, like, I have to start my day with God. I have to stay with him. I work in treatment, and I work in admissions, and there's times where, like, I go to the bathroom, so I'm, like, super sensitive, cry, especially when we have to, like, sit there and, like, if they don't have, like, insurance. And it's, like, I have to go, and, like, God is in the pause for me. I have to go and hit my knees in the bathroom and, like, cry. Like, multiple times throughout the day, like, God, I hope this person finds what they need. You know, because, like, I found what I needed, you know, and what I needed was you. And I needed the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, like, it's just a beautiful thing. That's all I have. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. So we got uh, some some medallions to give out. Should we start wrapping up, Rob, or does anyone Sounds have Sounds good. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's see. From A Vision for You, page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. 
but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors or anyone here that's got a new sponsee to uh, introduce them and uh, to the group and present them with a sponsorship medallion. Do we have anyone that wants to embarrass a sponsee tonight? All right. Beautiful. Hi, recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hi. This medallion is for Ms. Bella. She asked me to sponsor her. She shows up every single time we have a date to show up. She does her homework. She does her inventory already. We've read all throughout from zero to more about alcoholism. Um, she really wants us, and come join the family, Bella. Yay! All right. Is there anyone celebrating a year or more of continuous sobriety that would like to be recognized with a medallion? I think we have somebody that's actually going to be presenting Marion with. I'm Peter, recovered alcoholic. This good? This good? Okay. So I have, um, I get real nervous when I have to do coins. Um, well, I'll be honest. I have, uh, I'm grateful. I'm proud. I'm honored uh, to celebrate uh, this walk with Marion. Um, our phone, our house sounds like a phone room on some nights because I'm in one room working with people and she's always working with women. Um, we get to pray together. We get to pray separately. We go to meetings together. We get to speak at conferences together. And so we share this life together. Um, I know Marion's story really well. And we've all overcome these obstacles. She's overcome these huge hurdles. Uh, a woman of grace and dignity, integrity, and humility that oozes from her. And uh, I've said this a million times. Uh, since I've met her, <clears throat> I've become a better man and a better AA member because of her. Um, I'm, I'm, it really warms my heart. Um, so much that at 12.01, I woke her up to say it's 30 years. I woke up out of a say, it's 30 years. I was really excited for it. And so, um, and I don't want to get emotional here, but um, here's Marion with 30 years. Marion, recovered alcoholic. And um, it's great to be at Alcoholics and God tonight. We've moved back up to Boca, so this is a trek, and this is home. You know, this is home, and I always love the work we're doing here, you're doing here. We're part of it. We really are. And um, the day started out with the midnight call, and I was like, mm, okay, cool. They used to call it in the old day the watch, you know, when you got your first year, you know, to um, the watch the clock go over. And um, my my day started out with, you know, my prayer and meditation and a phone call from my sponsor and saying that she was proud to have me as a sponsee. And that was huge and amazing. And then a call from a lifelong shoulder to shoulder woman, um, 
my friend Bridget, we call her smash her face. She likes to smash people's face in the big book. <laughs> she's a biker. That's how she says it. But she's beautiful. And and what, what today feels like is um, there's a calm. And there's a calm that comes from knowing God. There's a calm from knowing that I'm known by my creator. And it just feels... Um, I don't know. There was a freak out before this and, and now it just feels like, okay, yeah, it's another day sober and that's beautiful. But, um, there's, there's just a calm stillness of knowing that I'm, I'm being held in his loving arms. So I love all you guys and I'm so proud to be a part of this amazing fellowship. So thanks. All right. Is there anyone that is in need of a big book sponsor? So you too can celebrate 30 years, 30 years from now. If you would like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. All right. Can all home group members please raise your hands? All right. We will see you right after to help us take down the room. Okay. uh, Thank you for joining us tonight. (laughs) We hope to see you next week. Uh, Thursday evening is our Alcoholics and God Step Series Workshop. At 7.15 downstairs in the fellowship hall. And to, yeah, this, this week on Thursday, it's going to be in this room because they're doing a special thing in the fellowship hall. And so Ooh. are we in the chapel in the sky. That's right. You Come know, this, uh, hear Pat R. share his experience. You won't right. regret it. If you would, please wait until you are 75 feet away from the doors to vape or smoke. Or if you're a home group member and you're vaping and helping set up, you can vape on the balcony. Provided you are also mentally stable and you can <laughs> come, come back in with us. That's what I was told. To, I was told that before the meeting. That's, all right. that's an important qualification. Let's, let's all uh, settle, settle down for a minute, moment, simmer. Yes. And, uh, and then we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, Lord.
Shine, 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 let it shine. 
All right, Michael Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Just won't say. 